Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Hits Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you this evening. Uh, the 9th of June, we're already uh, the first week, if you will, into the month, and uh, on our way to, uh, in a few weeks, officially being summer. And I know everybody's excited to, uh, especially those up in the Northeast that uh, have been playing golf for a little bit, are excited to uh, see what their summer swing is going to bring for them this season. So we're excited for them. And... Uh, We've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be starting off. We've got, the, again, the two Johns are going to be joining me here in just a moment on Coach's Corner panel. And then a little bit later on the show, I'm going to be joined by Kelly O'Donnell. Uh, he's the PGA Director of Golf Operations at Nemecolon uh, Resort up in Pennsylvania. He's going to be joining me once again uh, here on the second half of the show. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, let me uh, introduce the guys, and uh, we will bring them out and get into tonight's discussion. Uh, as I said, I've got the two Johns. Uh, first John is John Hughes. He's a PJ Master Professional and the Honorary President of the North Florida PJ Section. He was also the recip- uh, recipient excuse me, of the 2013 PJ of America's Horton Smith Award. Uh, he's also a Senior Editor and Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 Instructor, uh, plus uh, part of the Golf Tips Advisory Staff. Uh, also on uh, the panel tonight is the other John, John Decker. Uh, he is the Director of Instruction at the Medallion Club in Columbus, Ohio. And he, too, is a senior editor and top 25 instructor and part of the advisory staff here at Golf Tips Magazine. And uh, he was named in 2015 the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. And he authored uh, the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes a Bible study. Uh, and he does some public speaking as well. And also the book is now available uh, as an audio book as well as a hard copy. So if you uh, already have that uh, or if you don't have the book and you want to get an audio version uh, he'll tell you a little bit later on in the program how you can go about doing that. Uh, so, John and John, welcome to Coach's Corner uh, here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you, Ted. Hi, Ted. All right, I appreciate it. Um, so, we're going to talk about tonight, and we're going to get into um, quite a bit of detail um, on this particular discussion. Uh, as I said, everybody, uh, particularly up in the Northeast, Northwest, if you will, uh, certainly above the uh, uh, the Dixie line, if you will, <laughs> are, have thawed out, I think, for a little bit now, and they're out playing golf. And some of the folks are, are looking to, to have a really good season. Many of them are trying to break 90 this year, uh, maybe for the first time or consistently break 90. And we're going to go through some uh, specific things that we're going to talk about. And then at the end, I'm going to sort of wrap it up uh, with some uh, tips on what you can specifically do uh, that you should be working on 
uh, through various parts of your game. So I'll sort of wrap up the discussion uh, with that at the end. But uh, uh, Mr. Hughes, I'm going to start with you. Uh, and to keep it simple, I'm going to refer to you guys uh, by your last name just to keep it simple. Um, so overall strategy in, in how to break 9, and I want you guys to be specific to what I'm talking about, so don't jump ahead if, if you don't mind. Um, but simply thinking differently uh, is one way that you can reach your goal of breaking nine, uh, 90 excuse me, without really changing uh, your swing at all. Um, another way is really playing uh, bogey golf by adding one uh, to the par of every hole. So example, establishing a new par for yourself, meaning uh, turning a par 5 into a 6, par 4 into par 5, par 3, and of course into a par 4. Um, the first part of this question is really focusing on the attitude of the individual player, uh, and that's what I'm talking about when they're thinking differently. Most players, if they go in in 90s, their goal to break for the season, um, if they're coming in with sort of preconceived ideas of, well, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and I'm not really sure how I'm going to go about doing it, um, simply by changing and creating a more positive, I think, is going to help. And then the second thing, give me your thoughts on maybe adding or changing PAR uh, to see if that gives them a little bit of a different focus than what they typically do. That sort of helps to take some of the pressure away. Give me your thoughts on both. So first off, thanks, Ted, as always, for allowing me the opportunity to be on the call with you. And John, as always, it's a pleasure always sharing some information, learning from each other. Uh, changing par, uh, it's certainly the most simplest way to put things together for yourself and to think of things in a way, uh, in a manner that's obtainable is a term I'm going to use. There's other variations off of that, that based on what, based on the golfer's long-term goals. I may alter, such as, can we look at re making no more than five on a par five? Uh, but sometimes mm -hmm. your skill level isn't ready to do that. So, what you suggested, Ted, is a great way to start in that, okay, bogey golf, what does bogey golf look like? It's one over par for every hole. If most golf courses are par 72, we're adding 18 to that. You're right there at 90. So you're right there at the precipice of it. Can you do that consistently? And the neat thing about it is it's still going to allow for that double somewhere if you can find a par somewhere else. Is mm -hmm. the par lucky? Potentially. But I think as you start learning to break 90 on a more consistent basis, you'll realize that you are making more skillful pars than you're realizing initially. And it provides some opportunity, a little bit of uh, wiggle room per se, that if you have that one poor hole, there's not a whole lot of pressure being placed upon you by you to make up a stroke immediately. And I think that's really what you're after there when you're, when you're mm -hmm. basically saying my personal par is bogey on every hole. Wow. I just made a bonus of a par or even a better yet a bonus of a birdie. It right. gives you some breathing room to make it to the end of the round and be less cognizant on the score and a little bit more aware of how you made the score at the end of the round. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it adds a, a lot more flexibility. And, and as you said, it gives them breathing room. You know, a lot of players, they, you know, go to the golf course and they think 72, okay, that's par. I know I'm not going to get a 72, but, you know, I want to do this. And they're, they're adding up the numbers where I think going the other way around is sort of saying, okay, I know I can bogey every hole and get 90. So even if I do no worse than bogey on every single hole, um, I'm going to shoot 90. So that's part way there, as you said. And the other part of the, the, the first sort of part of the question I, I had asked you was about really changing their thinking um, and simply thinking differently uh, as opposed to, I mean, obviously there's things in the swing that are always going to need working on, um, but I think sometimes just changing the attitude as opposed to always trying to uh, manipulate the swing, especially when you're out playing. When you're out playing, forget about the swing. Just do what you, you've got, to, whatever you're bringing to the golf course that particular day. Don't start monkeying around with it then. Those are things you can do with your, your swing coach or your teach professional at a later date. But I think your attitude and changing um, the way you think coming to the golf course uh, can certainly help uh, get you on a good start to breaking 90. Um, great, uh, great points that you made, and, and um, uh, thank you for that. Uh, all right, Mr. Decker, we're going to come to you. And I think getting the first putt, uh, most high handicappers, you know, are not more often not going to get real close to the hole. So I think a good objective, uh, because putting is obviously important, is to get it within that three-foot circle of the hole. Obviously, you're going to try to make whatever you can along the way, but I think if you can get it within that three-foot circle uh, around the cup, um, once you're on the green, that first putt's goal will be to get it, the ball within that uh, circle, and that's going to help you sort of keep things down to a, a two-putt maximum. Um, if you start getting too aggressive and you're not sort of setting a tangible goal, I think you're going to find yourself uh, more three-putts and, and beyond. Um, give me your thoughts here. Maybe you have a different approach, but I think sort of having that sort of intermediate goal of not necessarily just trying to make everything, but having a, a different target instead of a small cup, now you've expanded the target, maybe three feet a little bit more than what you'd like. Give me your thoughts. Well, Ted, first of all, thank you again uh, for having me on the show. And, John, I look forward to being on with you tonight as well. Um, I actually do have a little bit of different perspective on this. Um, you know, I was uh, always taught that you want to get it within 10% of the distance that you have the putt. So, for example, if you're 50 feet from the hole, uh, you want to get it within five feet of the, of the mm -hmm. cup. If you're 20 feet from the hole, you want to get within two feet of the cup. If you're 10 feet, you know, a foot. So, uh, again, this goes to distance control. I understand what you're talking about, the three-foot circle. But it's interesting, uh, when we were at the golf schools, when I was working down in Orlando at Grand Cypress, there was some research done. One of the golf magazines came, and, and they did some research with students, and they had them, they had them putt from uh, about 50 feet, and they tra tracked all of their putts to the hole and saw the distance, the average distance that they would hit their putts. And then they put a three-foot circle around the cup, and they actually got worse. And the reason is because the students started putting to the circle instead of putting to the cup. And your mind is right. very, uh, right. the way your mind works is your mind is very specific. Like if I was going to ask directions, you know, to, to a location in town, I would want specific directions. I wouldn't want general, general information. I would want specific streets to take. And the more specific you can make your mind focused, I don't care whether you're a beginner or whether you're a tour player, the more specific you are, I want everyone visualizing the ball going in the hole. Uh, and I don't care, I tell them, I don't care if you're 70 feet and you've got 12 mounds in front of you. 
if you'll visualize if you'll visualize that path to where that ball is going in the hole, you will do much better than if you just putt to a general area. But distance control is the key to that. So I can have perfect line, but if my distance control is off, I'm going to three or four putt. So that's the whole mm-hmm. key to it. So I totally get what you're saying with the, you know, the three-foot circle is more about the distance, but I want players mm-hmm. to be specific, and I want them to visualize the ball going in the hole because um, you, you, it's amazing when you do that uh, how often every now and then one of them will go in the hole. So um, that's, that's a, it's a, it's a great topic of discussion, and hopefully um, the listeners out there will get something from it. Great points, by the way, and, and, and you're right. It, it, this is not, and, and let me just sort of preface before we continue on. These are just general overall strategies. Um, some professionals like yourself, um, John, have uh, found that that's not the best way to approach it, and that's fine, um, and, and I think that you're, you're exactly right. Obviously, if you're getting directions to a, a location, you're going to want to be more specific. I think that the general idea here was just to give some sort of a guide to work with, and it brings me to this next question. I'm going to come back to you, um, uh, Mr. Decker, if you will, um, talking about chipping as well. And this is sort of referencing a six foot, uh, you know, within six feet of the hole. So again, I think it's, I, I, I understand exactly the point and I agree with you. I think you need to be more specific, but I think that the idea here is to give them some sort of a general area that if they can get it within that field that, uh, or with that range, that it's going to increase the, the likelihood that they're going to be able to get up and down. So, uh, again, do you take the same approach then with chipping, not having a, a sort of a defined area, whether it be five feet, six feet, whatever you want to, number you want to use, uh, or, again, do you adopt the same strategy that you did with the putting, is not so much have a, a, a circular area or an area to, as a target um, or an ending target, but to be more specific? Give me your thoughts on the chipping as well. Well, chipping is um, with chipping. There's a couple of things that you have to look at. You know, um, first of all, I mean, you could have a a 70 or 80 foot chip, or you could have a 20 Mm -hmm. foot chip. Obviously, um, if I'm 20 feet, uh, you know, and I'm right off the edge of the green, I expect to get it closer than if I'm 70 or 80 feet. And that's whether you're a tour player or a beginner. Um, I think that when it comes to chipping, I'm, I'm really consciously looking at where I leave the ball. In other words, if, because you're, tr- you're trying to get it down in two shots. Three is a, um, you know, three, three will not kill you. But chipping, you know, you're right on the edge of the green. You're, you're still trying to, to get it close to the, as close to the hole as possible. But you also have to think about where you leave your ball. In other words, you don't want to leave it where you have a downhill putt. So in chipping, I'm, th- I'm mm-hmm. uh, often talking to students about let's make sure and when we chip this shot, let's make sure and get this ball by the hole so that we leave ourselves an uphill putt or leave it to the right or left of the hole depending on the break in the green so that we have an uphill putt. But when it comes to uh, the kind of the guideline, I still kind of go with that, that 10% rule because I think what it does, Ted, is it takes the pressure off of students because if, if, I, if I am – 70 feet away, and I say to, to my student, if you get this ball within seven feet of the cup, you've hit a really good shot. That takes the pressure away. Uh, I would never mm-hmm. tell someone you've got to get it within two feet of the cup to hit a hit a good shot. But but I want their guy. Right. I want their I want their uh, their goals to be a little better when they have a much easier excuse me a much easier shot when they're maybe 20 or 30 feet off the green. 
then I'm going to be more like, mm-hmm. the, all right, let's try to get this within three or four feet of the cup. So, um, you know, that, that I still use that number when it comes to chipping, but not in pitching and bunker. That's totally different. But in chipping and putting, I'm still using that 10% rule. Very good points. Uh, well said. All right, Mr. Hughes, I'm coming back to you. And this one's a little bit different, uh, but again, we're, we're dialing in on some some numbers. And, and I'm going to say that they're, they're sort of a generic uh, approach, if you will, I guess is a better way to phrase this. Uh, but one of the things that that I want to touch on as well is those approaching the green, say, within 35, 40 yards. You want to make sure that you're not you're certainly not always going to be able to go at the pin depending on the circumstances, um, but you want to make sure that you don't miss the green. Uh, and it might sound like at 35 yards you're not going to, but you'd be surprised. And the idea is because going back to the putting that we talked about a moment ago increases your chances of just two putting. If you can get it within, if you're 35 to 40 yards, let's say, from the green, uh, again, now you're going to be pitching the shot you want to make sure that you're getting it somewhere on the green, and obviously as close as you can, but you want to increase the likelihood that you're only going to have a two-putt, whereas if you uh, don't get it with on the green or you get it off, then, again, you're running the risk. So give me your idea here. If, if you've got a short pitch shot like this, 35, 40, even if you want to go up to 50 yards, is fine. What's the goal here? What's the primary goal? Is it just to get it anywhere on the green, or are you trying to be more defined? Give me your thoughts here. Well, first, I, I would counsel someone trying to break 90 to avoid those shots. Uh, you avoid mm-hmm. them by picking the right club in the fairway that gets to the green bat if you miss your hole high or pin high. You missing 40, 50 yards short is going to most likely happen on a par five uh, because you mm-hmm. decided to go for the hole and you just can't hit it long enough that second shot or you didn't hit your drive far enough. So with that being said, to avoid, let me rephrase it, to reach the goal of breaking 90, sometimes it's avoiding certain yardages. Now, why do you want to avoid this yardage? I call it no man's land. No man's land is the place where most people don't practice a particular shot or from a particular distance. And within 50 yards, believe it or not, pros have a difficult time. If you go to a tour event, you'll see them practice this shot all the time. Mm -hmm. It's rare that they're not uh, because the the courses are more difficult for them. So sometimes they can be left in that situation. As far as the person trying to break 90 goes, I think you can take a normal type of chip shot set up slightly different with a different golf club. And very much like we'll see at St. Andrews this year at the British Open, hit some bump and run shots so long as there's nothing between you and the green that allows Mm -hmm. some margin of error. And as far as you made a statement, should we just get it on the green? I think that's a goal and certainly the primary goal if you're not practicing these shots. But if you decide, you know what, I'm going to heed John's advice. Let me go out and practice these because I am ending up there more often. The more you're practicing Mm -hmm. these and and setting up correctly, ball position middle, not necessarily taking a 58-degree wedge, but maybe you're taking a 50-degree or even a 9-iron 
hit this little bump and run up there, then can you get a little bit better with your touch? As John alluded to easier, the 10% rule, I would actually like in that situation. But therein lies, you don't always have that situation. You may have to get over a bunker from 50 yards. You may have to traverse a creek or a pond from 50 yards, and that's going to call for a pitch shot. Hitting distance control wedges is something that all my clients do. I have flags up all the time for them to practice those shots. And all mm-hmm. we're ever asking them to do is land the ball the yardage necessary. Let's not worry about the release. If you can cover the yardage that needs to be flown over and you're on the green, that in itself is going to reduce some 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 strokes because through the Arcos app that myself and my clients use and some other statistical platforms, what we find is from no man's land is where the majority of short game strokes happen. And just by Mm -hmm. either avoiding that situation or simplifying the situation when you're in it and making a simple goal of, hey, let's not make a perfect shot and hit it close to the flag. Let's cover the yardage we need, or let's bump and run it up there and two-putt it. That's certainly within the realm of breaking 90, playing for bogey, uh, and it avoids the unnecessary evil of duffing a shot and hitting another duff shot and hitting a third duff shot, and then you're finally on the green, which I see quite often. Right. Yeah, and, and and see that's what I'm what I'm getting at here is, uh, you know, I, I think number one, I think sort of redefining what par is for you as a golfer, um, and and sort of alleviating that pressure is is one start. But I think you you also have to develop a game plan that's realistic to your level of play, um, because you're not always going to pull off the shots that you're needed, again, because of your skill level. And those are things that you're constantly always going to be working on. So you have to have sort of a fallback. Um, Mr. Decker, I'm going to come back to you on this one. And this is a statement, or um, if you will, and I want to get your thoughts on this, how it applies to what we're talking about. And knowing my club distances, I know I'll hit a ball right or left, but there isn't any reason why I shouldn't be able to hit the hit it whole high with clean contact if I know my distances. So obviously understanding how far you hit each club is important. And that's something that is obviously, in addition to some of the other things that we're talking about, is a must. Because it doesn't matter, even if you're hitting the ball clean, if you don't know how far you're hitting each club on average, um, then you're going to run into trouble somewhere. So how do we as a golfer, as as a higher handicap golfer, what can we do? Give us some examples of what we can do to sort of dial in those numbers that's going to help, and what should we be really focusing on primarily to understand what our distances are going to be? Well, Ted, this is uh, one of my favorite parts of, of, the, of golf to talk about and to work with students on, and that's knowing their carry distance. What matters in, in, with your wedges and your 9-iron, you know, from your 7-iron all the way to your lob wedge, what really matters is your carry distance. I see people all the time who say, I hit, the, I hit my 7-iron 150 yards, but when I watch them hit their shot, their ball is landing in front of the green and running over the green. They're not hitting a very playable trajectory. So in reality, 
yes, their ball ends up going 150 yards, but they're not carrying it 150 yards. They might be carrying it 135 yards. And so what I explained to them is that's fine, but you have to understand when you get on a, on a hole and you have a 150-yard shot over water, that shot's not going to work. You're either going to have to choose another club or you're going to have to go another route. And so it's important to know the carry distance. That's the first thing. Now, to, how do you learn this? Well, with today's technology, it's a lot easier than it was, um, you know, years ago. With the launch monitors now, it will give you your carry distance. So I would encourage you when you're taking a lesson to ask your instructor to pull out a launch monitor uh, during, and you can do this maybe the last 15 minutes of the lesson. Start hitting wedges, hitting nine irons, and start getting an average, you know, each week. Or how far are these, how far are these shots going? Remember, you're most likely going to be using a range ball. So it, it's really beneficial if you can do this out on the golf course using your own golf mm-hmm. ball. That's, that's another thing that would help. But if you don't have access to technology like that, then what you need to do is when you go play on the golf course, let's say that you're 100 yards away, and let's say that you use your 9-iron and you hit, hit a really solid shot. Not your best shot, not, you know, but not your worst shot, but just a solid shot. And let's say the ball carries to the front of the green. What I would do is I would walk from where my ball, where I hit my shot, I would tell, if I'm riding in a cart, I would tell my partner, you take the cart, I'm going to mark this off, and try to walk to your divot, your ball mark. Try to find your ball mark and walk to that and get the distance so that you know, okay, when I hit a 9-iron properly, even though my ball went 100 yards, it, may in, it only carried 90 yards uh, or carried 95 mm-hmm. yards, whatever the situation. That's a simple way. Um, to, to learn your carry distance without the technology. Now, it's easier with the technology, but even if you don't have the technology, that's something that you can all do um, when, when you're practicing. And, and then, obviously, like John was saying, hitting to targets, knowing, like when you get to a driving range, if you don't know and you don't have a range finder, range finders obviously make it a lot, uh, a lot easier to, than, again, when I was a kid growing up, no one had those, those uh uh, devices mm-hmm. that that's a great way so that you go laser and you know okay to that first 10 it's 60 yards or whatever the situation so that when you're hitting to it you can start getting an idea of, wow my sand wedge um, you know goes too far or my lob wedge doesn't go far enough so you start understanding um, that it's how far your ball is carrying to the target not where it ends up that's the main thing yeah and there, there's a lot of um for, for golfers, obviously, if you're you're playing, you know, once in a blue moon, uh, you may not want to go uh, go this route. But if you're somebody that's playing with any sort of regularity, uh, there's a lot of personal launch monitors and or range finders now that you can get that are very reasonably priced, uh, and it's worth the investment because you can do that yourself. You know, again, if you're, maybe if you're somebody that's not uh, necessarily taking lessons or you're not taking very many lessons, um, certainly uh, I agree with you. I think going uh, and getting your coach to, to pull something out. Uh, and, and using that is great, but you can actually do it now when you're practicing on your own. There's a lot of great products out there, and, and it's just a matter of doing a little bit of research. Um, all right, Mr. Hughes, we're going to come back to you, and here's another area of the game that I think is going to help people understand uh, and make, and it really falls into sort of decision-making. Um, I think you want to take trouble out of play. I think whenever there's a possibility that a ball can either get in the water or out of bounds, um, Take that possibility out by maybe laying up or some other option. John sort of alluded to that. What are your thoughts here? And then I'm also going to add into the mix, um, 
if you get yourself in a situation where you actually hit it in trouble, example, into the trees, there are some other options besides just trying to weave it through a, um, you know, a thick pine forest. Maybe you might want to just do something else, and I'll get you touched on some examples of things that you could do. So talk about that. What do we need to do if we have got find ourselves in trouble or potential trouble? Um, maybe some options that you might want to throw out there for, for people to consider. So going back to the statement you made right off the bat is how do you change your attitude? How do you change your thinking? And, and this right away is off the tee or in the middle of the fairway where you must change your thinking. What you're talking about is the possibility of making a big number. And most big numbers at that skill level are made due to penalties. Uh, we walked right into a trap by hitting it OB or hitting it into a hazard. I think overall you can think of we've touched on two out of the three rules and or guidelines I give my clients. A, eliminate the big numbers and penalties. Uh, mm -hmm. Number two, keep yourself out of trouble, period, which goes back to mm -hmm. no man's land. We'll probably touch on the third one here in a little bit or already have with putting. So when it comes to penalties in general, how do you avoid that? Well, John just talked about carry distance, but if you really map out carry distance, you probably have what's called a grouping area. If you hit 10 shots, what does that circle or oval look like from the longest to the shortest shot and to the two widest shots? And that's your grouping. And have you practiced enough to understand that you have a consistent grouping? Well, that consistent grouping also is relative to your consistent ball flight, whether it's draw, fade, slice, it doesn't matter, high, low. Are you playing with that consistency, and are you geometrically allowing that grouping to have a better chance of falling where you want the ball to fall? And that's what most people are not thinking of, and that is why a lot of penalties OB in penalty areas happen. Related to, okay, I'm not in a penalty area, but I'm in an area that I've got some trouble. I've got to keep it low under some branches. I've got pine straw. I'm in a barren lie, whatever the case may be. Let's take her medicine. A long time ago, I came up with a couple of phrases, keep par in play. Well, if your personal mm -hmm. par is bogey, in this case, you're laying there in two, you obviously have to plan out three shots. What most people do is try to avoid the planning and just hit the hero shot. Where right. they took their time and said, okay, this third shot, which, by the way, I believe is the most important shot in golf on any hole, is the third one, where <clears throat> if you put yourself back into play and you allowed yourself two more strokes, whether it's a chip and a putt, two putts, whatever it is, to make your bogey, you're going to end up taking your medicine and getting better sooner than trying to be the hero. You're, you're probably going to add into those bigger numbers by what I call stupid mistakes. But are you setting up and making a good setup based on a good decision to keep your personal part in play? It's one thing to decide to do it. It's another thing to actually set up to allow it to happen. And when you're doing those two things, even poor performances get camouflaged a bit. And in that camouflaging, someone may say, hey, Ted, you hit a great shot, but deep down in your heart, you didn't. 
at the end of the day, that mm-hmm. person's recognizing you made a great decision and you executed, and now you have a chance of saving part or saving your personal mm-hmm. part. So it is changing thought. It is changing how you go about playing the game, keeping one number in mind while understanding there's several other numbers that add up to that last one. Where are you in relation to that last one and in regards to where you lie on the golf course? And how do you play safely enough, not aggressively, but not ultra-conservatively, you play aggressively enough where that possibility of the bogey is still a possibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Um, and, and I think, you, you know, you're, you're exactly right. It, it comes down to a decision. It comes down to a thought process of what do I need to do to avoid those big numbers? And, it, it, you know, uh, Decker, I'm going to come to you on this one here. You know, I was watching something on the Golf Channel recently, and I don't recall the player's name, but, um, you know, he, he was playing with the pros, if you will. I think it was the segment. And he, he took three shots, same hole, same distance, but he did it from the perspective of three different types of players. So as an example, um, and I want to get your thoughts on this, um, you know, his higher handicap player, he, he chose one option, the maybe a, a more moderate uh, player, he chose another option, and obviously the better player. It's the same distance, but um, he factored in, there was uh, in this particular case, there was a creek running in front of the green. Uh, he had a 165-yard shot, and there was three different ways to play this. And I think this is where a lot of, uh, and I'm going to finish what he did in a second here. Uh, I'm just sort of want to set things up. But he, have, he, he, he set it up in such a way so that, depending on which category you fall into, in other words, you have to know your game, is how you're going to decide how you're going to handle this. So in this particular case, what he did was for the higher handicap, he said, I know it's 165 yards to get over. I'm not real confident I can carry the the, the trouble or potential trouble. So he said, what I'm going to suggest to you is that you lay up before the trouble so that way you have a short pitch uh, into the green, which is more likely. The next player that was a little bit better, uh, he used an example, and I know I can carry the trouble, but to go for the pin based on where it is is not smart, so I'm going to play for the fat of the green. And obviously, if it comes off, depending on the shot shape I'm hitting, I might find myself, might end up being close to the pin, but at least I know I'm not going to get into trouble. And then obviously, the better player, I can be a little bit more aggressive and go for it. So this is something here um, that a lot of, Average players don't know what decision to make. So if you were out on the course with a student, what do you want them to ask themselves first? What do you want, what's the conversation you want them to have in their head? If they were faced with a situation similar to this, you can create whatever scenario you want uh, for, for purpose of demonstration. But what's the conversation you want them to have before they actually uh, take the shot? Well, the first thing that I'm, I want them to do is ask themselves, where can I not go? Um, so that could be short, it could be right, it could be left, it could be long, or it could be all of the above. So that's the first thing. Uh, once I know where I don't want to go, then I try to figure out where I do want to go. So, in, you know, in the situation of a, a player who is uh, trying to break 90, um, let's say that they've hit their tee shot out there and they've got this distance, 165 yards, and they're going over water, but they don't feel comfortable. 
what I would want them to do is lay up to a yardage uh, or lay mm-hmm. back to a yardage where they can have a full shot uh, into the pin. What I don't want them to do is to try to always lay it up close to the trouble. You know, like, like Nicholas right. used to always say, if you're going to lay up, lay, lay up. And, and what he would thought, say is you lay back. And the reason you lay right. back is you want to have a full shot. You don't want to be caught in, like John was talking about, that no man's land, because it's going to do you no good to hit a 120-yard shot and have a 45-yard shot over water. Even a tour player is not mm-hmm. going to like that. So what you want to do right. is in that situation is at your, you may have to check your ego at the, at the door, but if you, if you hit a 65-yard layup and give yourself that 100-yard shot into the pin, now you can be aggressive. Now you can go more. Uh, and aggressive is a relative term, but now you can go more for the middle of the green uh, and then go from there. Because remember, your goal, you, you've already got a shot to play with. Uh, you've given yourself, it's a par four, but you've got an extra shot. So that layup is essentially that shot. And it puts you in a much better, because I guarantee you, everyone, if I gave them a choice, would you rather be 165 yards from the pin or would you rather be 100 yards from the pin? Everyone's going to say 100. I don't know anyone that would say I'd rather be 165 yards. So you just have to look at that as part of your drive, that extra shot. And that's where using, you know, you're using your, your strokes wisely. What you don't want to do is waste your strokes hitting into the penalty areas. That's when you waste your strokes. Uh, when you try mm-hmm. to hit shots you're not capable of doing, now you have to use one of those shots that you've, been, that you've given yourself before you play, and unfortunately, uh, you know, it's a waste. You, you're not gaining anything. So, and, and most likely, if you hit it into the penalty area, short of the green, you still have to hit a very difficult shot over the water. So I think, you know, having a go-to yardage, and I stress this with all of my students, you want to have at least one. I had, when I was playing on the mini tours, I had two go-to yardages. One was 75 and one was 95. So if I was ever on a, um, on a par five and I was laying up, I would try to lay up to those two yardages. Or if I drove it into the heavy rough and I couldn't get it to the green, I would lay it up to those two yardages. I was always trying to find those yardages when I was in trouble or when I was laying up on a par five. And, and everyone's different. Uh, it, a lot of it depends on your, the wedges that you have in your bag. But I recommend that you all, that ev- the listeners out there, get with their PGA golf professional and have a lesson on figuring out your go-to yardages. Where are you really good? Like John was talking about the, the, the groupings of the balls. Like where are you, is that grouping the best? Because it's different for every player. Every player has, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've seen players that do better with a pitching wedge than they do with the sand wedge. I don't know why, but they do. So whatever you have the most confidence in, whatever you feel, the, you know, the, the, like will give you the best opportunity to hit an aggressive shot and be able to carry it a consistent distance, that's what you want to know is that go-to yardage. Yeah, and, and again, it goes to really uh, proper planning, Um in, in how you're going to approach the, the course. And, and if you're fortunate enough that you're playing a, a course uh, this season that you uh, maybe you're a member or it's a, a, a track that you play quite often, you're already familiar with sort of the lay of the land. So it makes it a little bit easier. If you're going to a new course, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, there's a little bit more research involved. But if you're playing somewhere that you play quite often, you already know where the trouble is and you already know the distances essentially uh, that you're going to be faced with. So I think it's all about building a strategy. And I think 
Mr. Hughes, I think the other thing, too, is you want to choose, I believe, consistency over distance. I mean, it's great if you can hit a, a good di uh, distance with, with your clubs, uh, but sometimes you might need to, uh, depending on the circumstance, you might need to club down or even use a three-quarter swing. Maybe the bump and run, is, as uh, you know, uh, John had mentioned. Um, and sometimes it may not be 100% of your power, maybe 70%. In other words, doing what it takes to be consistent as opposed to focusing on just distance all the time um, because obviously your accuracy is going to improve. So, And things that you want to make sure that you're working on is your grip and, of course, your setup to be consistent. Um, but talk about a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, some of the things I just mentioned. You know, again, you want to be able to hit some full shots, but sometimes you have to hit half shots or you have to, uh, you know, hit uh, swing at a, at a uh, less power uh, because you're, you know, you don't want to be all over the course, and sometimes swinging a little easier uh, is going to help with your accuracy. So give us an idea. Talk a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind. Ted, you must have been a fly that sat on top of the golf course the past two days as I was coaching. It's, it's, it's uncanny what you're talking about. Uh, let me let me preface something right up front you only have 100% worth of energy. Physics, biophysics, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You have 100% worth of energy. And if you're swinging at 100% or what you think is more, every shot, does your brain have any energy to understand what you just did? Do your eyes have any energy to evaluate what you just did? So just from that basic definition, should you be swinging at 100%? No way. No way. And there's, there's some great stories of Davis Love Jr. and Davis Love while he was trying to make his first win happen on the PGA Tour, swinging at 80%. Uh, if you can find mm -hmm. that in a couple of books, I highly recommend that people read that. At the end of the day, hitting knockdown shots, hitting shots that you can feel in control of is going to pay big dividends. It does start with setup. Is your setup correct so you can stay balanced? At the end of the day, if you're swinging at 100% and can't remain balanced, your equilibrium is automatically programmed to slow you down so you don't fall mm -hmm. over. But that process of slowing down is going to sacrifice the integrity of, of a square face at impact and therefore leading to a wide dispersion patterns you're experiencing. It's my firm belief that people break in 90 when they learn to control the face of the golf club, which requires less effort than 100%. They start understanding what their true swing is actually going to be. The old question of how do they make it look so smooth? Why does Fred Couples look so silky smooth? Why does this person hit it 400 yards yet they look like they're only swinging for 100. It's because they remain in balance. They remain in a position where they can keep the club in a relatively square position, but it's over hundreds, if not thousands and tens of thousands of repetitions. But the real key here is how can your body understand the difference in feeling between what you're doing now versus what you'd like to do? And what that requires is that you move slowly. Where a lot of people fail to, 
recognize or just totally ignore is that from the time we're born, we learn new movement patterns slowly. Think of when you were, if you've had children, your children don't just mm-hmm. get up and start running. They fall. You're trying to learn their balance. You're trying to develop the equilibrium skills needed just to make two steps, three steps, five steps happen. And before you know it, they're running. The same thing happens when you're trying to develop a new movement pattern, not a change in your swing, not this. There's too many negativities out there. Let's call it for what it is. You're trying to learn a new movement pattern, and that's going to require that you swing slowly. As per on the course and application on the course, if you feel like you're swinging out of your shoes and you're about to fall over, that is a big red flag that maybe you should slow down. Slowing down doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to hit it as far. It will mean that Mm -hmm. you're probably more relaxed, and by nature, maybe your wrists uncock faster and actually create more swing speed versus being tense Mm -hmm. and slowing things down because you're out of balance. The idea of hitting is that less is more is an absolute in golf. And it is a very quick way. If you swallow it whole, if you wrap your arms around it and say, you know what, I'm going to adapt this and I'm going to play this way for a month, you're going to surprise yourself at the quality shots you hit. But most surprising for you is how you'll start feeling a very good balanced movement pattern that allows you to reach your potential. Yeah, well said. Um, and, and, you know, the thing that a lot of players don't understand is a great way to introduce tension into the body is to try to really step on it. And that doesn't mean that you can't increase your power a little bit. You know, if you're typically swinging, as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, Davis Love, at, you know, for a while was, you know, sort of swinging 80%. Um, you know, if you need a little bit extra, you can do that. But you're right. If you're coming out of your boots, uh, figuratively speaking, um, every time and you're not staying within balance, I, I always, you know, test that with, with my students over the years. And that is if they can't remain in balance and I'll make them hold the finished position um, longer than what typically they would need to, uh, to see whether or not they're in balance. Because if they're not in balance, they'll, they'll always either fall off to the side or they'll fall back on their back, their trail foot. And when I get them to slow down, then they're able to stay in balance. And the other thing, too, is what people, again, don't realize is when you try to really, really force the shot and try to swing as fast as you can, because that's what they've been taught to do in the past, um, more often than not, you'll see the tension building up in their forearms and in their upper body and ultimately what they end up doing is not hitting it further, um, but hitting it offline because their body is so tense, it can't naturally swing. So some great points there, um, Mr. Hughes, as always. And uh, guys, you've done a, a great job. And I think obviously just to, to sort of recap on, on some things, um, definitely you want to get help from your uh, teacher professional. Uh, what are your common uh, mishits? Maybe you need help fixing some, maybe you're hitting uh, your shots fat, maybe you're pushing or pulling. Uh, your shot. So those are things that you really want to do. You know, if you if you've got some good shots in the bag, certainly you need to keep those tuned up in that. But those are not things that you have to 
spend all of your time on. You want to focus on the areas, whether it be a knockdown shot, whatever it is, knowing your distances. These are things that you want to, if you want to break 90 and you want to do it consistent, consistently, um, then you need to understand the distance that you're hitting, your carry distance that you're hitting each of your clubs, uh, and certainly that pattern, as, as uh, John had pointed out. And very quickly, I'm going to wrap up with, with I think can be, uh, and again, there's always room for modification, but I want to get your thoughts, both of you to give your thoughts on this. Sort of a practice plan, if you will. And this covers all the areas, putting, chipping, pitching, and so forth. So some things that I recommend uh, to keep it simple, and again, you can adjust whatever numbers uh, depending on your schedule. Some things you might even be able to do at home depending on uh, your circumstances. But starting off with putting, I always like to get students to hit, you know, four-foot putts and hold them out uh, a certain number of them. Maybe uh, they can do it once a week, and it might be 30 uh, four-foot putts I want them to hold. And if they can't hold them consistently, then I want them to repeat that if they have the time. The other one is leg putts, um, maybe 20, 25-foot leg putts. And again, I want them to get it within, uh, you know, a reasonable distance around the hole uh, consistently just so they get the feel of the speed uh, and the distance of their putts. Chipping, uh, again, maybe uh, it might be a 15-yard chip. Again, getting it in whatever it's designed, whether it's the six feet that you want to use or, or if you have something, as John uh, mentioned earlier, uh, be a little bit more focused on, on things, that's fine. But you want to focus on, uh, and again, it might be 25 15-yard chips that you want to work on every week. Pitching the same thing. Maybe it's going to be 50-yard, 60-yard, 70-yard pitch shots that you want to work on. Uh, again, maybe it might be 25 in each of those categories. Bunkers, the same thing. Uh, you want to get maybe uh, 20, 30 uh, bunker shots you want to get, just gener uh, general bunker shots. You don't have to do anything fancy. Just getting it out the first time. A lot of players that can't break 90, uh, sometimes it takes them two shots to get it out of the bunker. So focus on that. Uh, irons and, and or your hybrids as well. A lot of people have hybrids in their clubs. I recommend half a bucket. If you're going to get a full bucket, half a bucket per week of, of that full bucket to determine your distances, at least a half a bucket. And then all, obviously all of, your, all of your clubs, again, the other half you want to be focusing on every week, practice your perfect grip and your setup. Always practice. Nicholas, that was one thing that he always talked about in Golf My Way, as he always said every season when he came out, is he wanted to focus on making sure that uh, he was working on his grip and his setup, that they were sound um, every single season when he went out, and that's something to practice on. Misses, um, you know, if you're making a lot of misses, I recommend getting your swing analyzed by a professional to determine cause um, and determine at-home practice drills that can be helped to fix uh, some of those misses and obviously practice daily. Um, I, I believe in getting your swing recorded um, at least once or twice at the beginning of the season just to see where you're at and then obviously throughout depending on what your coach tells you. What are your thoughts here about a practice plan? Some of the suggestions I've made. Do you have some others that you want to add? I'm going to start with Mr. Decker and then Mr. Hughes. I'm going to let you wrap up. Well, Ted, I, I mean, you laid out a lot, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, for me, I, I always stress to my students, really, no matter whether they're an uh, advanced player or a beginner, there's three areas that you really want to focus on. Number one is you want to focus on, on driving. So you want to work on your driver or your three-wood, whatever you tee off with. You want to work on your wedges, and you want to work on your putting. Those are the three areas. If you will focus the majority of your practice time on those three areas, you will cover 
um, the majority of shots that you're going to uh, have on a golf course uh, from a percentage standpoint. Let's face it, you're putting. I mean, you're going to, if you two-putt every hole, I mean, that's 30, 36 putts right there. I mean, it's 36 times you're going to use that club. So you're you're going to use the putter more than any club. The average person who's who's shooting right around 90, they're not going to hit a green in regulation, so they're going to need to have a wedge shot or a bump and run shot, some sort of shot around the green that they can rely on. And then a tee shot. I mean, it, it's statistically proven that if you can hit the ball farther uh, and you can get it, you know, you have to get it in play, but it makes the game a lot easier. So, you know, making sure that you have a good driver that's fit for you, making sure that you uh, have a, a shot that you can, can get started with. And it may not be a driver. It may be a three-wood. So those are the three areas you're driving, your wedges and your putting that I stress to all my students. And if you will spend, uh, you could spend 20 minutes on each of those, and in one hour you've covered probably 70% of the shots that you're going to have in a round of golf. So that's, that's my advice. Well said. Uh, and Mr. Hughes, what are your thoughts? Any comments on what I laid out? Uh, anything maybe differently you'd like to do? Um, give us your thoughts. All great ideas from, from both you and John. Uh, as, as everybody on this call knows, I write the milestone column for golf tips. And what I'm always trying to focus on when I'm providing readers, subscribers, to breaking 90 or three main points. Eliminate penalties, eliminate big numbers, and eliminate three putts. And I think if you were to look at the content over the past two or three years of that article uh, at the Breaking 90 Milestone, most of it surrounds that. How do you eliminate doubles and big numbers? It's just better decisions and better setup. And and following through, not giving in to your ego, not giving in to the hero shot, not being, not giving in to the lustfulness of, wow, I hit this shot once, can I do it again? If you're truly, truly interested in breaking 90, this is where you're going to have to start getting some discipline within yourself. And you mentioned a lot of the smaller details of discipline to breaking 90. Mm-hmm. Then breaking three putts, John, both you and John broke it down really well. Can you control your distances? I actually start with, can you hit a straight putt? Because a lot of people mm-hmm. who can't control their distances have no clue how to hit a putt straight. And when you can mm-hmm. learn to hit a putt straight and then understand in what direction to aim that straight putt in, a lot of times you can control the length of your putt. Because let's face it, probably 95% of the reason you three putt is because your first putt never got close enough to the hole for you to make the second Mm -hmm. one, which is where that three to five foot range is so incredibly important. The the ability to build confidence within that zone provides you the opportunity to take pressure off of every other part of your game. Because if you're sitting back on a tee or with an approach shot or even a chip shot, and the only way you believe you're going to make it is to be right on top of the hole, then you're going to have a lot of problems. And breaking 90 is going to become even more distant. I think if you break it down into those three, eliminate the doubles, eliminate the big, the big holes, the big numbers by making better decisions, and eliminate three putts and pick your way of doing it. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. As John said, everybody's different. 
pick the way mm-hmm. that's going to get you there, not the quickest, but the most efficient, and you'll break 90 a lot more often than you realize. Exactly. And, and this is really just, you know, everybody has a different approach. Uh, even every teaching uh, professional has a different way of, of helping their students to accomplish that. But these are just some, some general guides to, that you can follow. Um, you're certainly going to have success if you if you do these. You may want to modify them as as John had mentioned, some things differently that he might do, um, that's okay. You know, everybody's different. Every coach is different. Um, but, you know, if you have a general guide to follow, um, I think you're going to be successful. But, again, you have to be willing to, to be committal to a certain point. One thing that we didn't touch on tonight, um, which I think is important, we're going to get into it in a discussion uh, a little bit, or we'll add it to a discussion at a later date, But uh, and that is learning and, to, uh, and understanding how to read greens, because you'd be surprised – um, how many people lose strokes on the putting uh, surface, not because so much that their stroke is bad, but they don't know how to read the green. I've seen people hit, hit a, a beautiful stroke, get the right distance, and they're way off target because they didn't learn to, to read the green and know where the putt actually has to be going to. So we're going to talk about that because that's something, too, that uh, a lot of uh, high handicappers, particularly a lot of our amateur golfers, um, need some help with. So we'll talk about that another time. But um, I want to thank you guys, uh, as always, for doing a great job and and unpacking uh, our discussion. Uh, as I always do, give each of you an opportunity to share if there's something you want to share and let the folks know if they want to reach out, the best way to do that. Mr. Decker, we'll go with you, and then Mr. Hughes will wrap up with you. Well, Ted, once again, thank you for having us on the show tonight, and thank you for all that you do uh, to give us a platform, and we, we love the opportunity. And, John, as always, I enjoyed coming on with you. I always learn something every time I'm on with you, so I, you did a great job tonight. Um, for the listeners out there, I have a new website that just came out in January. It's, uh, it's simply called DeckerGolf.com. So if you go to DeckerGolf.com, uh, you'll see all my videos. I have uh, broken down into full swing, pitching, putting, chipping, bunker, course management, golf fitness. Uh, I, every day I'm kind of putting new videos up there. I've got almost uh, 200 uh, as we speak. So, um, and there will be more to come. So if you want to check that out, I'd appreciate it. Uh, also, you can go to, uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Uh, my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, it's a Christian golf book. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart websites. You can uh, order the book through those. Uh, and also have an audio book uh, that's uh, available on Amazon, uh, Audible, and iTunes. And I'm available for public speaking if you ever looking for a speaker to come in and uh, maybe a charity golf event or uh, any kind of event like that, just feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to come to your area. But once again, Ted, thank you. And, John, have a great evening. All right. Appreciate it. Um, and Mr. Hughes? As, as I've always said, uh, it's easy to get a hold of me, at John Hughes, hashtag John Hughes Golf. I, I designed it easy so you can find me easy. Ted, thanks as always. John, thanks as always. Uh, what I'm hoping people will see in the next coming months from me is uh, as I expand to a second facility and do some retreat schools at the Macklemore here in, in another couple of weeks, a lot more video content that's going to help you with that. And I absolutely implore people, subscribe to the magazine, subscribe to Golf Tips magazine, both John and I love what we do and love the content, putting the content together for you. 
breaking 90 milestones, all the things that we do, we do it to help you, the golfer, achieve your goals. And if there's something that we can help you with from a video or from a written content standpoint of view, by all means, reach out. We're here to help you. Well said. Again, thank you both uh, for all that you do, and I appreciate you always giving of your time here coming on the show, and I look forward to you guys uh, next month here on the Coach's Corner panel. Have a great uh, uh, rest of your evening and a great weekend, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Ted. All right, that was uh, John Hughes and John Decker joining me on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, before I bring out uh, my special guest this evening, Kelly O'Donnell, and I'll introduce him in a second, we're going to take a, a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, Equipment, training aids, accessory, and apparel reviews. Golf destinations and travel tips for every budget. And so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, and again, you can go to GolfTipsMag.com and uh, you can get it in a print version uh, or digital or both, uh, depending on what you want. Some people like to have both. Uh, they can have a uh, print copy at home or at their office, and then they can take on the go uh, a digital version of the magazine. It's very, very reasonably priced. There's six issues a year. Uh, we're winding down our season. Our next issue, uh, or actually our recent issue, the July-August issue, has just gone to newsstands uh, here in the last week. So you can get them at Barnes & Noble and uh, uh, Books a Million, or really any uh, of the major uh, book uh, outlets uh, here in the United States and Canada. And um, you can also... Um, uh, again, if you want the online version, uh, you can subscribe to that as well. Uh, we're going to be working on, in fact, we're getting ready to work on the uh, September-October issue, which will be uh, coming together here in the next uh, few weeks, and then we'll be getting that out to print as well. Uh, and then our final issue, which is usually uh, one of our biggest issues of the, the year that has the, uh, a lot of equipment reviews and our holiday gift guide uh, comes out in the November-December issue, so we'll be getting lots of uh, gift ideas ready for that. All right, I'm very excited to be joined by my, uh, once again by my special guest this evening, Kelly O'Donnell. He is the uh, PJ Director of Golf Operations at uh, the Nemecolin uh, Resort up in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's also a seasoned golf professional within, uh, with a background in sales, marketing, uh, manufacturing, as well as private, public, and resort uh, golf experiences. Uh, seven-time PGA Section Merchandiser of the Year and 2016 PGA National Merchandiser of the Year for resorts. Uh, he worked for Ben Hogan for seven years and has mentored 30-plus future PGA professionals and instructors, uh, creative and out-of-the-box thinking uh, for improving uh, the guest and member experiences at uh, wherever he's working. Uh, right now is Nemecol and surrounding the game of golf, which is a robust and resurgent industry. We're going to talk a little bit about that and more uh, please welcome my very special guest this evening, Kelly O'Donnell. Good evening, Hi, Kelly. How welcome are you? to the show. I'm doing very it's well. It's a pleasure to uh, be here. Well, I'm glad to have you back. You were with me. Uh, I was just before we went on, uh, or before I went on the air tonight. I was looking to say I knew you had been on before. You were back in October, right. I think October 7th. You were uh, on the show, and I'm glad to have you come back for uh, 2022. Well, thank you. 
Right. Yeah, it's always a We're, always a pleasure. So excited. Let uh, me. Uh, I appreciate. It. So let me ask you first and foremost, just for those that may be tuning in for the first time and maybe didn't catch uh, the last time, give us just an, an idea. I like to do this particularly with with uh, guests uh, either the first time or, or first couple times on their show until the the audience gets a little familiar with them. Um, give us an idea of how you got into golf. Not so much in the industry. You can talk about that as well. But what sort of led you down the path of hey, I, I want to play this great game. How did you get started? Oh, this is this is just so timely and everything because I just um, I've been dealing with a lot of family issues and I just lost my father last week. So it's mm. he, uh, but he was ninety one, had a you know a great life, but mm. he actually introduced me to golf when I was seven. Mm. So you know he was a long time minister and uh, would take me on his days off when I was young to go play the little nine hole horse. We were up in Rogers, Arkansas, John Daly territory up there, and I told John mm-hmm. about that story as well. But um, in Rogers at the time, back in the early 60s, there was this uh, new kind of hardware uh, convenience store opening up, and uh, it was called Walmart. And look, yep. and look where I am today. So the, the first Walmart store ever from Sam Walton was in Rogers, Arkansas, so my first set of clubs was a set of Bob Rossbergs from the Walmart mm-hmm. there. And uh, I wish I still had them today because I remember uh, dragging them around and just wearing out a hole in the bottom of my back because I felt it was so heavy, but it had four clubs <laughs> in it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, not only was it great to spend time with my father, you know, because he's busy, uh, you know, dealing with you know the ministry and and every, all his constituents but you know it's really a, a good bonding time and of course loving to be outside as well and there just grew a fondness for the game how you can't really blame anybody else but yourself for what goes on and just just <laughs> a good core uh amount of people that you meet through the game and i still speak to that this day that you you meet so many outstanding people that not only they understand the great hitting a drive perfectly but also when you can three putt from five feet so you know we we all share that that feeling that that we have so i grew from there my grandfather turned out to be a longtime childhood friend of harvey pennick and so i got to take mm-hmm. some lessons from mr pennick when i was in high school as well and just a very, very unassuming man, and you know, I think a great tribute to Mr. Pennick was uh, you look at two of, his, two of his greatest students were Tom Kite and Cranshaw, both players, right. both major champions, but completely different personalities and the way they approached mm-hmm. the game. And what Harvey would do with them was send Tom, send Tom to the short game area and work on wedges and hit some balls on the range, and he said, Ben. You just go play, and that kind of spoke to, and that you could see their whole career became. Right. I, I think uh, you know Tom Kite was the guy who was the, you know, pulled a long iron out, and he was the first guy that I can remember that actually put three wedges in his bag. So I think right. you know just the little things that Mister Pinnock did was just fascinated me with that, and uh, I'm trying to remember this day what he really helped me with, and he really didn't say much of anything. 
because every time I went to see him, I stayed so focused because, you know, well, you want to impress your teacher, right? So I always right. did pretty well when I was with him. <laughs> but Obviously, he presented uh, yeah, well, a good aura. Right, he did, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, just not intimidating at all. But And so I, I, I cherish all those times as well. And then when I got uh, got into college, I really felt like, I wanted to become a minister because I was in the family. But then mm-hmm. uh, after one uh, semester of seminary, I just didn't feel like that was the right thing. And my dad's brother had a good friend um, who was a golf professional looking for an assistant pro. And, and so I started working with him and uh, never looked back. You know, um, let me first say um my deepest condolences to not only yourself, but to the rest of your family as well um, at your loss. I'm very sorry to hear that. And um, I'm glad that he was able to be, um, you know, as active in your life uh, as he was and be able to, to not only mentor you, but uh, to introduce you to this game, which has obviously served you well. And I know you have, I'm sure, a lot of uh, fond memories uh, of those days and uh, something Absolutely. that you'll be able to... To, to carry, and you know we're we're very similar in a lot of ways. You know, my father did something very similar. You know, introduced me to the game about the same age, about seven, um, and uh, you know I, I think pretty much uh, did the same trek as you did. As I wore a, a hole in the back part of my bag, I think I had a couple more clubs. <laughs> I might have had six, six in there, but uh, uh, and oh, I was pretty tall player. too. But I just. <laughs> 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 but I, uh, but yeah, I, I don't even remember the. Fr- I, to be honest, it's been so long. I don't even remember the first set of clubs I had. I know there were some cut downs or knockdowns or whatever we used to call them, uh, of a of oh, an old sure. set, a set that my dad had. But, uh, but you know, it, it, I think it's always interesting because what I find more often than not with a, a lot of other my fellow professionals and that is. A very similar story that once they got introduced, whether it be you know their father, or some case it was a, a, an uncle or a grandfather that got them in. Once they they kind of got bitten by the bug, as we uh, refer to, um, there was Absolutely. no turning back. Now wh- now whether they you know meandered on to become a great player or or a teacher professional or a little both or or just out to have fun, uh, it's always interesting to hear uh, a little bit about their journeys. And we're going to get to Nemecolin in a second, but I wanted to ask you, um, as we transition into that part of the discussion, um, obviously we've we've all gone through a, a very difficult time over the last uh, couple of years with, with this uh, pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to keep talking about it, um, but one of the things well, it's still, that it's still has, here, it's still very yeah, relevant. Yeah. So yeah, we're still we still need right. to talk about it. Right. And but what was really interesting to me. And I don't think really a lot of people saw this uh, happening in the very early stages of it is, again, golf being the the game it is, outdoors and so forth and, you know, social distancing and all that kind of stuff, um, received an incredible resurgence of the game. I mean, not only players that hadn't been out for a while, but a lot of new players. And I'm sure you guys have have witnessed this at, at your facility um, yes. you know, over the last couple of years, uh, which has been both a blessing and sometimes a bit of a curse because most of the pros I've talked to uh, over the last uh, <laughs> year or so are so busy 
that they uh, right. had to finagle schedules and, and things. So, it, you know, obviously I, I'm, I'm kid when I say it's a curse, but um, it, it obviously has made them a lot busier and, and, and uh, the resorts are, are, are happy, I'm, I'm sure. So when you see, uh, especially forget about the ones that have, you know, played for a number of years that maybe had gotten out of it for one reason or another coming back, that's obviously exciting in itself. But you're seeing a lot of new people for the first time. What do you try to do, um, especially if they're not from a golfing family, they've never picked up a golf club in their life, they haven't got the first you know, clue as to what even to, to ask about. What do you try to do at Nemecolon to really sort of welcome them in and say, here, we're going to help guide you to what we feel, or, or what do you do? Do you guide them at all, or do you just say, hey, the doors are open, come on in, we're going to do what we can to serve you. What's the approach that you guys have taken for new golfers? And I mean new golfers. I mean like real new golfers, yes. Uh, well, you know, I think, yeah. uh, gosh, probably the, the main thing that happened after I got here a little over a year ago in February is they wanted to renovate our uh, golf academy, which was an original uh, David Ledbetter back in the 90s, but it was really mm-hmm. in disrepair and needed some help but it was it had great bones as i tell people and so got in there and it had a big covered porch so we completely gutted the thing it didn't have air conditioning it didn't have heat and so i was looking at something for us because you know we're so seasonal at nemecolon where i could get some strong teaching professionals and you know uh, make it to where, you know, even in the off-season as we speak, you know, where you can't get out on the grass, at least keep mm-hmm. them active and keep them teaching because we're – we the hotel is open year-round, so if we can get some golfers, especially new ones, in the off-season, this would be a great opportunity for us. So we have four 16-foot bays. I've got a 900-square-foot putting room, and we enclose the patio um, to where we have some nice seating. So – yeah, I don't like using the, the the term top golf, but it has that feel mm-hmm. that we can do a lot of individual instruction, but also we'll do dinners for 30 to 40 to 50 people in there. It's a great space. And so all our bays, we can do simulated games. You can work on the range if you want. You can play both our golf courses and 130 other ones because we have TrackMan there, but we also, every one of them, also open up to the grass as well so we can go end to end end out and you can work or play and the one things i found out in doing so is you know what is the one of the main things that just scares so many new people to golf is uh they're so afraid to go to a driving range and you know i have other people look at them but you know when you get inside it's more intimate and you kind of feel like there's nobody really watching you if you're doing it in a bay indoors. So we've we've really captured a lot of people that want to play golf just by coming to an event or, you know, one of our open houses that we'll have every month at the Golf Academy, especially on really uh, busy weekends. And just, uh, you know, we'll have cocktails and appetizers and come on over and see what the Academy is like. And we usually capture, gosh, Tenny. 10 to 20% of the people there really become interested in golf and want to start playing. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, and it's so the that space is paying uh, back uh, not only the game, but to us 
uh, as an operator tenfold at least. Yeah, and, and that's what you want. You want to have that experience for them. So when you when you think back or you look back over your career, because you've, you've been doing this for a while now, so you've seen all types of golfers and that, what's different? What's really different? I mean, you, you pointed out a couple of things that there's a little bit of apprehension about going out to the driving range because you know, people watch them and that. And, and listen, who isn't, who isn't a little bit apprehensive sometimes, you know, <laughs> if you're a little rusty or if you haven't played in a while? Um, well, right. But, what what's different about the golfers, the new and I'm talking about the new golfers, not not the ones that have you know maybe stopped sure. for you know a year or something. The new golfers, what's different about them? What are you noticing? What is it they're after? Uh, and 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 I want to throw something in here, and I want to get your thoughts to see if this is we're sort of on the same page. What I hear them saying to me is they're looking for not just a typical golf experience; they're looking for a golf plus experience. So they're looking for other things than just, you know, walking the 18 or whatever. There's other things. Is that what you're hearing from them? Um, give me your thoughts on, on, in response to that, um, or are you seeing or hearing something different? No, I think, I think you've, you've hit on it. And I've said, you know, not only with uh, what COVID's done, because, um, you know, we were, the industry was so flat for so many years. Mm-hmm. And thanks to, you know, whether you, love it or hate it or just kind of put up with it, social media has really helped the game of golf become cool again. You know, there's all these right. new manufacturers. Uh, there's there's swagger with a lot of these people that you see on there, guys and girls um, that, you know, do their own thing. And, and they have helped bust through, you know, just kind of that staunch old guard of what the game of golf is. And it's a game ultimately, and I always tell people that. Don't take it seriously. It's a game. So I think we're getting a lot of a lot of new golfers, not only that are interested in seeing it, and, you know, you see the resurgence and the younger players now. You know, I love where the ladies' tour is going. And, you know, look at the, the men's tour right now. All these young mm-hmm. guys, I mean, you know, we, we talked about what, like five to ten years ago, you might have three to five guys who could win every week, and now we've got 20 to 30. I mean, it's it's really right. exciting to see. So the buzz is good, and so we're seeing those people coming out to Nemecolon, you know, 36 holes, our golf academy, and a lot of other things to do that are buying the latest fashion and want to get the latest glove and what kind of new golf balls. And so it's 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 just all really new to them. And, yeah, they know the frustration, and but they also see it on mm-hmm. TV because – the guy, the guys and girls who do it for a living, they hit it in the water too. So I think it's just refreshing to see the resurgence and new people coming along. But yeah, their expectation is grander. You know, um, mm-hmm. gosh, don't have the carts on the path. You know, when it rains, and you know, what are we going to do? And and you know, the five and six hour rounds, we got to bust that up too. But you know that's problems we've always had. But I think you know if, right. if we have, and we have we have classes too. I really think a priority needs to be more classes on etiquette and pace of play before we even right. get them out playing by themselves. I really do. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No. I know. Forever the optimist. No, you, <laughs> yeah, you're right. But but you know, and I just want to expand a little bit more on that. The, the reason why I ask that is, you know, I've 
did an article recently in in uh, my magazine, Golf Tips Magazine, and and I talked about really what the millennial, particularly golfers, are looking for, and that's why I referenced the, the sort of the golf plus experience. They're looking more. Sure. They're, they're not really interested in the typical country club feel. They don't care about that. They want, as I said, a golf plus experience. So they're looking at it. And, and again, I'm not trying to throw you know them out there, but because uh, there's others now coming out in the field. But uh, that top golf, they're looking for an entertainment value. So yeah, they want to go out there and right. they want to challenge themselves out in the golf course. But they want other things. They, you know, they now you've got all these products like the Wingman and some of these other, you know, uh, speakers mm-hmm. that they can hook their Bluetooth through and listen to some tunes out there and and uh, get right. the yardages. And they're very tech driven. They're they're wanting to know their numbers. Very they're much wanting so. to have all of these things. So how do you handle? Because you're a resort, so obviously you're you're catering right. to um, some of the traditional golfers now. But you also at the same time recognize that hey. Some of us older guys are going to be, you know, moving on down the pasture in a few years. So you've got to make way for a new crop of golfer. So are you guys changing some of your model in order to, you know, you don't want to shovel away the, the existing clientele, but you've got to make way for the new generations of golfers. Are you trying to find a balancing act, if you will, I guess is the way to put it, to appease the traditional golfers, but at the same time offer something to the newer groups of golfers coming along. Are you doing things like that now, or is that something that you're working on uh, doing over the next uh, you know, year or two years? I, I don't really know. I, I always kind of, uh, except for the rules of golf, really, I, I kind of buck tradition, and I'm always looking for the next best thing. What can we do? Uh, you know, I've had wingman in the shop for years, and, of course, we've got club cars that have the Bose speakers, in them because you know if somebody wants that great and you know we of course we've got several players that say i don't want to hear any music i i got to get in my head and play the game and that's fine um right but, uh so it's you know it's it is a constant you, you know like a doctor you got to know your patient so i know everybody mm-hmm. who's coming to nemecolon um they're looking for that out of the box experience they're just wanting something that's off the charts, uh, you know, not only with golf, but everything else we offer. And so really our clientele is that. Even our members, uh, you know, they dress kind of wild. They're, 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 mm-hmm. they're not your traditional club member, which I love as well. And, you know, they've got, right. they've got a great opportunity here because I've got 36 holes of golf. And, you know, I really like them to have a tee time, but they really don't need one with us for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. even though we're celebrating our 35th anniversary this year, that there's still a lot of people out there. And I met some more, you know, this past week that had, you know, they heard about Nemecolon, didn't know where it was and finally had to get here. And I just love that. So we're still, you know, bringing in new people all the time that just have not been to South, Southwest Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, and Nemecolon, yeah, Nemecolon offers a variety of uh, stay-and-play options, too. I mean, you've got, um, you know, the beautiful Chateau for somebody that likes a, maybe a little bit more of an elegant uh, approach to things. Yeah, and, and then you've got some other options. Op- of the Ritz Hotel in Paris. <laughs> right, right. It is. It's oh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, we that's what I'm talking about. But- I mean, you can have 24-hour butler service. It's... Uh, yeah, it's off. It's off the charts every day. You know, I laugh you know, coming to work every day. It's 
It's just a great place. You know, and then you've got the, you know, as an example, you've got the lodge, which is, again, mm-hmm. a different experience. So, and, and, and that's what people are looking for, I think, nowadays, is they're looking for um, something different. And, and you guys right. kind of have the complete package. You offer, you know, some challenging golf, of course, um, but you're also offering a, a variety of, uh, of options if people want to, you know, stay and play or whatever they want to do, or if they're local and they want to come in and, and visit. And, of course, you know, uh, as you said, the members, of course, you want to always uh, do things for them. But um, so you, you offer a variety. Um, for somebody that's never been to Nemecolon, what do, what do you want them? Obviously, you want them to have fun. You want them to enjoy their stay, and, and you're going to roll out the red carpet, as they say, uh, particularly uh, at the Chateau, but uh, and butler service and all that kind of thing. What is the takeaway that you want them to have? When they leave, what is it you want them running through their mind? Uh, that they're ready to rebook and come back and see us and tell at least 10 of their friends. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, seriously, and and it's almost to a person. That's the way it is. You know, we, you know, we're finally getting back into. You know, I love group golf, and we've got a lot of groups that have rebooked. Especially June is going to be a big uh, group golf mm-hmm. uh, month for us, and we've just got a lot of returning businesses that just love everything we do. They, you know, from the food and the service, and just the accommodations to the golf, and just how we treat them. You know, we. There's no great secret. We treat everybody here like you want to be treated. I mean, uh, that's that's exactly been my ma- mantra forever. And, uh, uh, you know, and I just always try to find, you know, quality apparel and everything else that, you know, with our logo on it that they will probably not find at their own club and uh, realize that you know, they might, I might have a new a new buyer for a new brand that they've never heard. So it's, so it's fun that way as well. But, you know, just to have people come off – either one of the courses and go, wow, what an, ex-, you know, when they say experience, uh, I think that's, that's exactly what we're looking for. Cause it truly is. You just can't, uh, you know, in the Allegheny mountains, just where we are, it's, it's just beautiful, especially late in the day. It's just an amazing place. And you offer other amenities as well. It's, I mean, obviously golf is certainly in the forefront, uh, but you offer a, uh, spa and sort of a, uh, a holistic healing center as well, fitness. I mean, so for those that are, are health conscious a little bit more than others that maybe, you know, say, well, yeah, I want to go on a trip, but I still want to, you know, do what I need to do to keep me, you know, in good shape, you offer that as well. Maybe you could touch a little bit on that. Yeah, our, our spa is spectacular. It's, it's uh, gosh, I think it's three stories, and, you know, it's it's also got a just about an Olympic-sized pool in it, so it it's always very busy. Of course, it's got the salon piece as well, but um, yeah, there's there's you know healing is big for everybody now. Not only with um, mm-hmm. the holistic healing center, but also the the spa treatment itself. And more and more, you know, we see the the professional athletes have known this for years, and it's nice to see that for the everyday people, you can have you can take advantage of that as well. Um, we've got a you know cryo chamber, which I did that last month, and that was quite an interesting experience. When you watch the thermostat go up, go to minus one sixty, and you're like, "Am I going to live through this?" <laughs> but when you come out of that, I mean, I just felt incredible. And uh, we have the red light therapy, which uh, is really big right now as well. That's supposed to help a lot of your 
aches and pains, which I think is a great, mm-hmm. great thing. So, and the Holistic Healing Center is right across from the golf shop. So we're, re- we're really trying to, uh, I'm working with our director of spa to really, uh, you know, do some packages that will either use the mm-hmm. cryo and the red light for golfers right after they play and in between rounds. So that's critical right. for all of us, especially, you know, for people like you and I that are really maturing that after 18 holes, we're like, yeah. wait a minute, that didn't hurt yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, right. and of course we have, you know, we've, we've got 40 treatment rooms. So, you know, you can have the traditional spa spa workout as well, you know, where you can have someone work on all your aches and pains. So that's, that's never going to go away. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, this, our spa is, uh, it's world-class and, and it's busier than, than the golf course right now. <laughs> That's how good they're doing. So my goal is to catch her because they're doing so right. well over there. But uh, we're, we're right behind her. Because it's still yeah, raining. And, 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 I, you know, it's, I'm still waiting for right. spring, Ted. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah. been an interesting well, start to the year for us. I mean, it's lush, but, you know, our, our rough is like, you know, three to four inches right now. It's We are ready to have the U.S. Open here on either course because it's, right. it's pretty incredible <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, and, you know, that's, that's yeah, part and parcel. Yeah, you want a little bit of a, um, you know, summer to hurry up and roll around, but, um, but you know, it, it's important. The reason why I, I brought it up is because I think it's important. I think when you when you have a, a, an experience like this, and, and hey, listen, I, I love you know going and playing some great golf, but I also want to have some other things uh, available. Um, you know, w- wherever I'm staying, I want to have other options of things to do, um, mm-hmm. so that in conjunction with you know, I'm like you said, I'm going to go out. I'm I'm getting long in the tooth as well, so you know, I. I you know, I, I was up, and I won't name names because I'm, I'm not going to take away from from you guys, but I was uh, up north a little further uh, here recently and, uh, you know, walked uh, to 18 back-to-back, and, yeah, I felt it. Boy, oh, I wish I had the spa you. to go to, so, <laughs> yeah, really. And, uh, right. you know, I'm not used to doing that, you know, the same way. So, um, but, you, you know, as as somebody that enjoys this game, Golf is fine and golf is fun, but you also want other things to do. And, and obviously, I know you offer some great dining. We'll touch on that a little bit. Um, but you want other things to, to 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 be there. Have some other adventures, for lack of better words. Tell us about the peak. Yeah, the peak. We just opened it last year, so you know we've had we've had skiing in the season and uh, and uh, tubing, and so we came across an idea because we've had. Our pools were getting really busy, both at uh, Falling Rock, where the golf shop is, and also uh, right in between uh, the tavern and the spa. That pool was getting quite busy, so we came up with the idea of kind of a Vegas-style pool at the peak, and it came out Mm -hmm. just amazing uh, because we've got cabanas out there as well. But you've got great views of the mountains as well from there, and we've got a kind of a two-level pool with a kind of a small, lazy river to it, but it's also heated. So, you know, even in wintertime, you can hang out in there because I've seen probably 30 to 35 bodies in the hot tub. It's that big. And it's just a great (laughs) entertaining space, not only summer but winter, 
because we heat all the tiles around the pool too. It, it's an amazing space, but it was something we really needed as, you know, just a next step up for our guests to enjoy, especially in the summers, especially, but it, it has really been a pleasant surprise for us for the wintertime as well. I mean, you and I would not get out in that in the winter. A lot of people do. <laughs> and they're stocking caps and out there with a nice toddy, and they're enjoying the hot tub. And we'll pull down the big screen TVs up on the stage because we'll do uh, music on live music on the weekends there as well. We have a big stage. And, uh, you know, we'll show football and other sports in there too. But it's, So it's a great it's a great venue. It turned out like, well, and like go- they do everything else at Nebicola. It's just it just blows my mind just how grand and over the top we do it and then everything's successful it's just it i love it well and it goes to what i talked about earlier and that is that sort of golf plus experience you know you're golfing mm-hmm. during the obviously in the winter you're not but you know there's other things to do and people are looking for that and you know you've got things like um you know uh rope courses you've got their climbing walls so it, it's a very um family-friendly uh, options as well. So, you know, if, uh, you know, if you want to bring the kids kind of thing, there's some things that they can do. Um, you've got indoor axe throwing. Uh, so there's a lot of things. It's not just the and golf. Bowling. There's other things. Yeah, so, I mean, it's paintball and a few other things. So it, it's, a, it's an overall experience for the resort members and guests to be able to come and, and do a lot of different things and not just – you know, and the reason why I say it is typically in the past you go to a resort, a golf resort, and you played golf, and you know some had spas, some didn't have spas, but it was very generic. It was very sort of run of the mill. But you guys have taken it a step further because you're recognizing, especially because you do have a shorter golf season, that hey, we've we've got to find other ways of of entertaining guests and members and things like right. that throughout the season. So here you've done that with the peak. You've you've offered another option, and it's something that again. Um, you're going to draw in a different generation too, because they say, "Hey, this looks like fun," and they're crazy enough to be out in their caps and out, you know, in the middle of winter, <laughs> right. where you and I are going to be sitting. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be sitting inside at the bar, and you know, maybe looking out the window and, and laughing you know, at them. Yeah, and laughing exactly, <laughs> but and saying, "You wait 30 years, pal," and but you know what I'm saying. So, but but the idea right. is all kidding aside. But the idea is you're you're now offering. Uh, a, a more well-rounded experience when they come to Namakolan than than what traditionally they might have seen. Am I right? Right, exactly. I mean, you really are. And, you know, uh, another testament of just what we think and how we do and how we can please our guests is, is you know, just all the different options for food as well. I mean, uh, Latrec, which I really can't even describe what it is, It's but, uh, you know, it's over-the-top where you get those really fine, it's a six-course experience, and, you know, they'll pair wines with each course, and it's just um, an amazing experience. Of course, Rockwell's is our steakhouse. Aqueous, mm-hmm. which is also in the Falling Rock Hotel, is really our seafood um, restaurant, and it's it's uh, Five Diamond as well, and it's just, you know, and it, and it appeases all the golfers, too, because you really want to find a really nice meal after you eat, but it's we have Ted. We have people that just come stay with us because of the restaurants. I mean that that speaks right. a lot to our chef staff and our culinary team and just everything 
that, that we offer. And, of course, the taverns, the sports bar, you can get a burger, fries, onion ring tower, mm-hmm. whatever you want there as well. So we really cater to everybody. Uh, the Peak also has food as well. So, you know, you and I can sit there and watch the people and laugh at them when they're out there in the hot tub. That's where we would be. <laughs> but it's uh, – <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's and you know, most of our golfers, especially the young men, who have a a hankering for cigars, our cigar bar is unbelievable, and it's packed every weekend. It's an amazing space. Yeah. It's it looks like an old uh, turn of the century library, and it's just an amazing space. And they'll pair cigars and bourbons and other things like that. It's just. Uh, the, you know, the team at Nemecal, and they think of everything. And, and if we were constantly looking for what's the next great idea, and, you know, we get suggestions not only from staff or from you know, our frequent guests, and possibly the next time that guest is here, we'll have what they wanted to see us have. And that's how they do things there. I just love it. You know, and the other thing, too, is – you know, in addition to having so many different options of, of doing things and options of where to stay and, and you know, what accommodations you want, um, it, it, it allows you to have a different experience each time. So maybe one time you might want to just, you know, h- hang out at the, at the lodge or, uh, and do, you know, certain activities. The next time you, when you rebook, maybe you're going to up your, your game a little bit, figuratively speaking, of course, and maybe stay at the Chateau and have a little bit more, uh, maybe a special occasion you're going to use that. And I know that you have, um, obviously, the facilities to have, um, you know, big events and things like that going on. So, you know, for people that maybe want to have that that different experience, <clears throat> excuse me, they've got that option at Nemecolon. They can have a different experience every well, time they do. They yeah, we Yeah, we do a lot of conferences convention services is very strong here because you know we'll do a lot of uh, a lot of companies will have their year-end celebrations and awards events and bring in key vendors and it is perfect for that i mean it's Mm -hmm. truly a place that you want to come celebrate the past year you had or if there was a buyout of something and and uh, we catered all that which is so much fun now you mentioned earlier that and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I or unless I didn't hear you right. Did you say this was year 35? Yeah, 35 years. The Hardy, uh, Mr. Hardy, bought the property in 1987. So we're wa- we're already Did, working on uh, something big for year 40 as well, and I can't even imagine what we're going to do for that. But year 35 this year, so that's 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 a great feat, and they continue to grow, and you know. We don't. There's nothing stagnant going on at our place at all. <laughs> what is next? <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's you know that goes to the the overall point that I was trying to make earlier is, you know, I think one thing, not just the pandemic, but just in general, one thing that's happened, uh, and and you touched on this as well with social media, is that um, we're seeing really a new approach. I mean, golf, let's be honest, had stagnated for a long time. Uh, you know, the traditionalists yeah, get really out did. and play and, you know, and, and that, but uh, it it really was not drawing um, a, a lot of new interest. In fact, if anything, right. people were getting out because, uh, you know, for one reason or another. And so now people are, it's had a new, 
you know, resurgence. And, and I'm sure you guys have noticed this in, in your neck of the woods as well, um, and, and partially, you know, through the efforts of organizations like the LPGA and, and, and uh, you know, companies like Epson that have stepped up this year and taken mm-hmm. on the, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the tour there uh, for these young girls uh, coming into the game. You know, the, the industry has seen, you know, a 33 to 35% increase of new golfers are young females, which is, was unheard right. of 20 years ago. So you're exactly sure right. You're seeing so I, that, I, you know, go ahead. No, and, you know, like we talked about, just, you know, because there's excitement on the ladies' tour, you you know, their their majors are, are, are fantastic. All those young players that are coming up, and they're from all parts of the world. You know, it's it's great. There's so I I think that has a huge influence on the young women that are starting to play. Oh, for sure. I mean, no we doubt. you know I uh, you know I have the pleasure of interviewing a lot of the young girls uh, coming off the Symmetra tour uh, or coming into the Symmetra or, sorry the Epson tour now. I've got to keep remembering to say that. Um, right. But um, you know they're <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Epson really stepped up uh, this year, and uh, this is their first year of five, and we'll see where it goes on. But um, they come in and only increase the purses for these young girls, uh, you know, trying to make their way to the LPGA, to the regular tour. Um, But they actually went a step further and actually lowered the entrance fees to get into the events. And, you know, so they're helping... Yeah, so so you know they're not just throwing a bunch of money and saying, hey, we're going to plump up the you know the one end. They're also making it so it's more affordable because let, let's be honest, it's, especially for the ones that don't have sponsors and things yet. Uh, you know, it can be a pretty hefty you know chunk of change to get out there and play 15 to 20 events a year. Um, right. You know, if you don't have a sponsor and you're not you know coming from a, a wealthier background, so. Um, you know, so organizations like this are recognized. So golf seems to be drawing a, a new, fresh interest all the way around. And it sounds like to me, from what you've said tonight, that you guys really anticipate this and are making taking steps to sort of embrace uh, not just the, the new influx of new people, but just the, the different directions that golf is starting to take. Um, from And again, I'm not trying to dismiss the traditional golf, but there's new things happening as well, uh, and you guys are obviously excited to be a part of that. Um, and I think that's where um, the direction of the game, hopefully, is going to continue to go. And I think you guys mm-hmm. uh, have recognized that and are, are doing that. Am, am I right? Yes, you are. And, you know, as I mentioned the uh, academy earlier, you know, we have a new golfer mm-hmm. boot camp that we offer um, every Saturday and or Sunday. Uh, and uh, we have quite a, quite a few participants. I've been so happy to see that. And then, uh, you know, our junior camps um, last year was okay, but this year they've all filled up. And it's m- yeah. members and guests. And, you know, now that I think about it, because you touched on this, um, we are seeing more young girls. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. I love it a lot. I mean, yeah, we, we see it not just, you know, on the tours and things like that, but we're seeing it, um, you know, even at the local courses here, we're seeing, uh, I mean, you go up on a Saturday morning, and it's amazing how many young girls are up there, and some of them are really good. I mean, it's not just, you know, they're duffing around out in the driving range. 
some of these young ladies are are really good, and they mm-hmm. just really grapple and polished with and, and, and polite. And, oh, yeah, and so focused. I was not anywhere near that focused at that age. Ted. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I had the pleasure of, of watching the uh, the LPJQ series uh, the the last two uh, the last week rather um in in 2021 coming into the 2022 season and i made a point for the whole week of going up and watching i'm going to make this brief because i i don't want to take your time but um but watching them every morning go out on the range and i saw more um you know training aids i saw every you know on the putting surface <laughs> you know they were out there diligently working and then you know, as the, the rounds progressed and we had some rough weather, they were right back out there again after their rounds, working those same age training heats coming out. And it was interesting. They were out there hitting ball after ball after ball, but with a purpose. And they were incredibly right. good and very diligent in their practice. And um, it, it was just a, very interesting to watch. And like you said, very focused. So you know, I'm excited about that as well as sort of a, a new freshness to the game. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree. I think, I well, think, you know, for years, too, have, have you not told I've, – I've told, uh, you know, our members for years, you know, especially where their games are when they're 15 to 20 handicappers, I've told them, watch the LPGA Tour. That's going to be more your oh. focus to your game than yep. – what the guys are doing now, I, you know, you're never going to touch that. But you watch, you watch these women, you know, driver, and they can hit all their hybrids like they're short irons. I mean, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So, uh, you so know, I, I love I said, I, where the I, I, ladies' tour is going. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, and and it's a more well-rounded game. Um, you know, they can certainly don't yeah. get me wrong. They can um, they can get some distance too, but yeah, they're they're all about really you know, the finesse and, and, and using a lot of the clubs uh, in the bag and not just, you know, five um, that we see right. on the men's tour. And, exactly. you know, it's amazing with very little effort. I mean, I watched, and I shouldn't say this, but I watched one that was on the range one day and she was just so incredibly accurate. I just wanted to go up and slap her one because I thought, <laughs> I just can't believe it. And she, you know, she barely swung the club and it was just like darts. Yeah. Mean, every Every ball was around the hole. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the same same distance. And she was very little effort. So, you know, this, you're right, watching them work on their game and practice, um, yeah, I would I would drive a busload of, of high handicappers up there and say, here, you know, right. sit here for an hour and watch these young ladies. So you're exactly right. So do you offer, I mean, obviously you're welcoming to everybody coming up there and that, but are you trying to tap into that as well by maybe – Offering um, you know more clinics and things that are attract, attracting some of the junior golfers in as well. What are some of the things that you're doing through the academy? Yeah, we are, um, and you know, I, I, through our uh, director of instruction and our lead instructor, you know, I, I, I push them and encourage them to you know bring up and and they are working with a lot of local high school. Uh, junior college mm-hmm. and some collegiate players because that's important too. And especially with all the technology we have at the academy now, um, you know, because that's, that's the future. I mean, 
of getting better. And so they are working with quite a few pretty good little players from all, all around the region. And uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's, and it's really through word of mouth because Mike LaBella, our uh, director of instruction is, you know, was named last year top 40 under 40. So he's got a lot of credibility mm-hmm. with, with who he's sure. worked with. So what he's, what he's done. And uh, he's a product out of the Penn state PGM program which is great. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're, yep. I, I get over there a lot in, in the afternoons and they're working with uh, these young guys. I haven't seen them work with any young girls yet that I can think of, but it's, it's young men and they're just all like rubber bands. You know, they hit it forever oh, no. straight <laughs> and I just can't watch them for very long. Cause I have to go, I have to leave. <laughs> I <know. laughs> yeah. I'm like you. Well, their time's coming yeah. too. And, and you know what's really nice is, is uh, your facility's uh, uh, dog friendly. I see as well. So that's something. And again, it that's is. becoming more yeah. and more important as as people are traveling. Is, you know, they don't want to they don't want to leave. Pets uh, are family you know, too, right? That's right. So you know, it's nice to see uh, you know you adopting that as well. Um, and uh, I think it, I think Just it's great. Just don't get them too so close to the Bengal tigers that we have because they might look no. at their little puppy as lunch. <laughs> right, a little, a little snack. Um, well, it sounds like it's it's a great time, and I'm looking forward to to coming up at some point and and checking it out. Yeah, and, and please. I think I told you that in October, it. and you still haven't made it yet. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> well, you know the winter months, and I don't downhill ski anymore. I so I, I don't do winter anymore. Me but we'll either. See. We'll see if I can I could do it. But um, but you're Taylor, always thank welcome you very much, and I I, I want to get you an opportunity to let the folks know if they want to get more information what's the website they can go to and um anything else that you want to uh close out with as we wrap up it's uh, quite simple go to nemacolon.com and uh we've also got a a new newsletter that just went out today that kind of gives you a history of who we are and celebrating the 35 years but uh gosh if we don't have um the right experience for you and your family or your friends, uh, by golly, we'll have it built the next time you come. <laughs> I promise that. 40. <laughs> right. <laughs> we will. Sure. But, yeah, please come see us. I'm talking to you only, time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, definitely, no, I definitely will. And all your I'm, friends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to certainly circulate the word around for sure. It's, uh, it, it looks like a great facility, that. and, and I, always, I always like to do something new and I'll talk very nice to, to Kevin and Carl and see what they can work out for me. But, uh, but Kelly, thank you very much for uh, for coming on. It's my a pleasure. pleasure. You're always welcome to come back. Always. And, and uh, don't wait until the 40th. Uh, we'll maybe have you back on again uh, oh, uh, yeah. at a later date. But um, but come on, and when you've got some uh, anything new that you want to uh, promote, I'm always happy to have you on the show. But appreciate it. And, again, my it. deepest condolences at, at your family's loss. And, and Thank you, uh, Ted. I appreciate uh, it. I, not a problem. Thank you, my friend. Have a good uh, rest of your evening and a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next time here on Golf Talk Live. You too. Great. Bye. Right. Good night. All right, that was my very special guest, uh, Kelly O'Donnell, PJ Director of Golf Operations at the Nemecolon Resort, and you can go to nemecolon.com, as he said, uh, to get all the information. It's N-E-M-A-C-O-L-I-N. That's nemecolon.com. A lot of great things to do, and as I mentioned, they're pet-friendly, so if little Fido wants to go and on the trip, uh, they're welcome to uh, attend as well 
and uh, just, as you said, keep them away from the Bengal Tigers, but um, otherwise uh, they may not be coming home with you. But um, anyways, thank you for, for joining me uh, here tonight on the show. Again, a special thanks to both John, John Hughes and John Decker for doing a great job, as always, on the Coach's Corner panel. And uh, again, my special guest this evening. I will be back next week with another great panel discussion and another interesting guest interview. I hope you join me. God bless everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.